Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. Here in Trnava, Slovakia at the 2018 Junior World Championships. Jason Bart here on the Short Time Wrestling Podcast. I would say recorded live with Erkin Tadsimetov, the assistant coach at Utah Valley University. He's on staff here coaching uh, Taylor Lamont and Greco-Roman. And uh, Erkin, you've, you've been on the scene for quite a while. Uh, you've recently gotten your, your U.S. citizenship. You originally came from Uzbekistan. And I just want to dial it back a little bit and uh, you know, talk a little bit about one. Uh, what it's like to be coaching with USA Wrestling, and, and then you can maybe go into the situation on how you left Uzbekistan to come to the United States. Yeah, yeah, Jason. Uh, well, I want to first thank uh, USA Wrestling to give me the, this opportunity to coach the team. Uh, it was awesome, great experience for me, and uh, coaching Taylor, Taylor Lamont here. Uh, for me, how they came to U.S., uh, it's an interesting story, actually. When I was... About 19 years old, I was back home. I was the number one guy. Uh, the politics got involved a little bit. I uh, I was supposed to be going to the world championships, but they, they picked the other guy because the other guy's coach had a little more money, and they paid him off. So I got a big argument with the coaching staff there. And uh, from there, I told them, you know, uh, if you guys going to start doing that kind of stuff, I'm not going to deal with it. So I had a visa to come to U.S. I wrestled at the 1998 Junior World Championships, and I decided to uh, come out here and try my luck here, try to go to school, and, uh, you know, yeah, 2001 I got here. I uh, got recruited by uh, Central Missouri State University. It's a Division two school in Missouri. The, the, one of the coaches, he was assistant coach. He was from uh, Ukraine. He knew me pretty good. So he told me, come out to Missouri. They would take care of me, my schooling. So that's how all the began. So, yeah, because the question is, is um, with, with, you know, following you, there's, there's a couple other Uzbeks, uh, you know, Bekzad and Muzafar Abrakmanov. I know Dear Safarov is out here now training in Iowa City. So you got the visa because you were on the junior world team, and that was Vegas in 99, right? And how long is that visa valid for? Uh, it was a four-year visa, and it's a multiple entry. So, yeah, when I got to U.S., 
I got to the Missouri. Uh, my first year, that's when I invited uh, Moose, uh, Abdurrahman, who's the coach is now at Harvard. Uh, from there, I invite a couple other Uzbeks. Now we had a Nodir Safarov. We had another Uzbek training at the UVRTC. Uh, his name is uh, Navruzov, Ikhtior Navruzov. Uh, so, yeah, we had a handful of Uzbek coming through now. Uh, come help, you know. As an athlete, you have an opportunity to represent, you know, your, your home country at times. And then you said you had um, some of the issues with how teams are selected. Now, when the, I didn't know about the Central Missouri State thing because, uh, you know, the question was, okay, how did you end up in, in Utah? My question was, you come over, how, how was your English? I mean, did, did you speak it well enough? Or what was that transition like to American university system? It was it was tough. It was really hard, actually. Uh, just imagine a 19 years old kid, you know, coming into a different country. I didn't have zero English. I just knew basic, probably high and by, and you know, just get through that. Yeah. Well, not even that. <laughs> not even that. But uh, yeah, it was it was tough, tough couple years. You know, I stick with it. I told myself, you know, I'm gonna learn the language and I'm gonna get the degree. You know, and try to get my citizenship so I could represent USA at the world and Olympic level. Now, the story is, how do, how do you go from Central Missouri State to, to Utah, which Utah Valley at the time, which was a fledgling program, ineligible for the NCAA for a long, long time? You know, how do you end up in Orem, Utah? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I got an opportunity to go to Tucson, Arizona with the Gallics, Nate Gallic and Nick Gallic. So I stayed in their house and I worked I worked the job there and I helped the team there, high school team during the summer. Then uh, Nate knew Cody Sanderson, who just just got hired at UVSC by Utah Valley State College by then. And uh, Cody got a hold of me and he started recruiting me, told me uh, because of my eligibility stuff, I couldn't go to any D1 school. Um, so I was getting recruited by D1 schools, but I just couldn't go. Uh, I wasn't eligible. Uh, my 2040s, uh, the, the process wasn't going through. So, but the, the, the for the UVSC, I was good because they wouldn't follow any D1 rules, not yet. So yeah, he he recruited me, told me he would give me a full ride if I come to UVSC. That's how I end up at UVSC. I had the opportunity to compete in some of the bigger college tournaments because basically you were kind of, for lack of a better term, wrestling nomads. <laughs> Not like the wrestling nomad from Flow, but uh, you guys could travel. I saw you guys wrestle at the Lone Star Duels, the wrestling against some club teams, some D1 teams. It was, uh, I remember uh, one guy, I think, I think it was Polkowski, took down Tion Ware in a duel meet and everybody went, ooh, and then, you know, Tion got the big win. But what was the transition like for you to learn American collegiate folk style wrestling? Uh, it was funny, actually. Uh, that's a that's a good question. Uh, like again, it's it was kind of like learning English, right? It's just uh, something new, especially top and bottom. Top and bottom was just really hard for us, and uh, the coach in Missouri got really frustrated from us. Cody, I'm sure he was frustrated uh, because we never ride. I would never ride, you know. How many locked hands penalties did you get hit with? <laughs> yeah, well, if we count that, uh, I mean, probably 10, 12 points, you know. <laughs> swing here, swing there. But, yeah, I give up a quite a bit of lock hands. Uh, let's see, the false starts. 
right? Uh, so yeah, it was it was it was hard to learn, but now you know, I I think I I got it down. I did a pretty good job teaching my club too. So I want to dial it back to how you had a visa for as an athlete. That was a special situation. Um, when you're trying to leave Uzbekistan, if you're not an athlete, how does that process work? I know it's it's fairly difficult to try to leave to go to the, to the Russian Federation of the United States. Yeah, it's it, it is really hard. Uzbekistan is the country that it. I mean, I don't know about now, but it's so corrupted with the politics and everything. It was it was uh, difficult. Right, the process itself. When I transferred to uh, U.S. and I, I got my citizenship in the U.S., I wanted to compete. Right, even going through with that process, it was so hard to get a release from Uzbekistan. They would not want to release me. I mean, even though I haven't competed for so long, since you know 1999, and they would like, nope, it's been about 12, 14 years. They still like, they would not release me. So it, it's, yeah, it's a dif- difficult process. Definitely a difficult process. Yeah, because uh, I talked to Bexod in Tashkent at the World Championships there, and he's saying, you know, there's, there's like a lottery system. They only allow a certain amount of people to, to leave certain countries, and a lot of times it's educational. So how did you, how did you lure Muzaffar over to the United States first? <clears throat> Muz, yeah. Uh, I, like after one year of the, uh, going to college here, I called Moose, said, hey, uh, you know, he was a 19-year-old then too, 18, 19-year-old. And uh, I called him. I said, hey, this is the opportunity we'll have. I spilled out all the beans, and he's he liked it, you know. And I told him that coach here would be give you a full ride too. So if you're interested, come out here. So, yeah, he said, that's really interesting. Let me see a couple things in Uzbekistan. And. He'll let me know in a week. He said, all right, start working on the visa process. I'll, I'll come. Yeah, he, he broke out on the scene, and we're like, hey, yeah. I mean, and now one thing I'm wondering, too, is, again, dialing back historically a little bit, growing up in Uzbekistan during the fall of the Soviet Union, what was that situation like for you as a, as a kid growing up? Uh, that, that would be if I start telling the story. I mean, it would be here quite a long time, but I'm going to try to keep it as short as possible. When we got our uh, U.S. Uh, broke up from the USSR, we called ourselves a democratic country, right, which wasn't true. We are still communists. We are still with dictation and still a hard time. Um, I was going to the Olympic sports school. Uh, my family was really, really poor and then had any car. I would take the bus. Uh, yeah, there's not much opportunities, you know, as a 15, 16 year old kids. If you, the guy, which I was, but still you not going to get, you know, help from the, uh, Uzbekistan Wrestling Federation, not from the government, or you might be getting the help and you don't know. And the coaches are pocketing all the help, you know, that you're supposed to get uh, money wise. So yeah, it was, I mean. I hope that things change now, you know, for the, the for the kids over there. So, what about the non-wrestling standpoint? Like, what what it meant as for for the citizens of Uzbekistan when 
you know, what wasn't officially a recognized country at the time. I mean, you know, there's the breakup of all these former Soviet republics. I mean, just you said you didn't have a whole lot of money, but, you know, day-to-day life, post-breakup. I mean, is, is, was life better before the breakup or after the breakup is, I guess, the way to ask the question. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's a, I, I would say it was better when it was a USSR, to be honest with you. Just because everybody were getting their reward they're supposed to get. That money-wise, you know, from the government and stuff. Even though government controlled it, but they were getting it. When the breakup happened, and that we said that, uh, in quotation, uh, when we became democratic, right? And uh, the, I think a lot of people struggled. A lot of poor, guy, poor people start getting more even poorer. You know, rich just got richer and richer. So that's the thing. Uh, like I said, I hope it's different now, but we didn't have a middle class. With it growing up, there was no middle class, you know. During the Soviet era, yes, everybody knew their position and everybody knew where they at. You know, we had a, to some degree, we had a middle class. When the broke up happened, it just, that middle class people started becoming poor. They got, the store got taken away from, you know, government. The, all the businesses started getting taken away from the government. And those middle class people just became poor and, you know, that's when it happened. Focusing back on wrestling, what makes, well, one, the wrestling culture, it seems to an outside observer in Uzbekistan, there's good wrestling in Uzbekistan. It's like it's re- regarded as a wrestling country. How is the sport viewed? Uh, internally, I mean, is it something that young kids aspire to be as, as wrestlers in Uzbekistan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uzbekistan, uh, the wrestling in Uzbekistan is uh, number two popularity sport after soccer. Yeah. So after football. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they love wrestling. Uh, we have a good support. Uh, I mean, yeah. The, growing up, like what happened to me is we had a clubs everywhere, you know. So my club was like at 200 feet from my house. So it was really close. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of wrestling opportunities for sure. Coming back to the United States type of things, and when you get settled in Utah and you're wrestling folk style, did it, did it bother you at all that you didn't have an opportunity to wrestle for a national championship, to wrestle in a postseason? Yes, yes, it did. It still bothers me, to be honest with you. still want to kind of, you know, but I'm getting old. That's why I wanted to compete so bad. I uh, got my citizenship, got everything. So I'm going to go back to uh, a little uh, 2014, how I started competing again, right? Uh, in 2014, I got a call from the national team coach from Uzbekistan. Th- that time, I hadn't had my citizenship yet, right? So he said, hey, uh it was the before Tashkent Worlds. They told me that they would uh, have a spot for me for uh, 57 kilos, come compete for the country. So I said, oh, yeah, you know, that's, that's good. I, I, I want to do that. And I started training, started hitting it hard again. And then uh, just before the tournament, there was a tournament in Kazakhstan. Well, I went to Canada Cup here. Took third, then went to Kazakhstan uh, to the tournament. So when I got to the tournament, uh, I got into the tournament, which no problem. So the coach over there said, hey, uh, we running a problem. I said, what's going on? He said that 
looks like they won't let you enter to Uzbekistan. I'm like, why? What's going on? Well, because you left the country, you can't, you know? And I'm like, what? It's been so long. Why? I mean, you guys bringing all the Russians and they're competing for you guys with no problem. You're giving them all the citizenship they want. I'm a <laughs> Uzbek citizen and I'm having a problem. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. It's not in our hand. You know, it's, we can't control anything. I'm like, okay. So um, the, another thing, my good friend who grew up with me at the Olympic Sports School, he works up high now in the, in the, uh, yeah, not not federation, the government. So he he messaged me and also told me, Erkin, you don't want to come back. If you do, you know, we'll, the government's gonna put you in a jail. Yeah, it was that bad. It was that bad, and uh, I'm like, well, that's good to know. So that's when the process started, you know, getting my citizenship for the U.S. Your own country, who you represented at the World Championships, which screwed you out of a spot, then asked you to come back to wrestle for them, and then if you came back, they'd put you in jail. That's ridiculous. Right, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. And, yeah, I said, okay. Thanks for everything. You know, I'm not going to even deal with you guys. It was, yeah. I mean, I don't know if the Federation could do anything about that, you know, but uh, I guess it was the government thing. And the guy who works for the government, he told me, like, straight up told me, you know, I'm just being honest with you. Don't even come back because if you do, they're going to throw you in the jail. So, uh, that's the next question. How many have you been back? You've, you haven't been back to, in, what, at this point, almost 20 years? Yep, since 2000, I haven't been back. Uh, it's crazy. How do you see your family? Um, have you seen your family since then? I mean, they've, have they made trips to the U.S.? I actually did invite them, and uh, now my whole family lives in the U.S., so they all got this as in ship. So, yeah, yeah 2000, 2006, 2007, I started inviting my family out here. So that's probably some of the... Uh, why they they want to put me in a jail because I took my whole family out, but still I mean we should have a choice, right? So yeah. One question you brought up the the, the Russians coming in representing and you know, Arthur Tomazov uh, was was stripped of one of his gold medals and he was one of the, one of the most imposing presences and like even even people who weren't from Uzbekistan like to watch this guy wrestle. Um, is it a little weird to have you know and? for lack of a better term, an import, be the face of Uzbekistan wrestling? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, I mean, growing up as a little kid in Uzbekistan and working so hard, you know, right, try to make the team, try to do this and that, and the country would bring the guy, you know. That, I mean, we would have a guy who could compete with all those studs who they're bringing from Russia, right? I mean, they would bring them and they would pay him big money to represent Uzbekistan, and our guys at the weight classes would be not even getting look at it and not given opportunity to, you know, I mean, just put yourself in that situation. How are you going to, you know, how are you going to train after that? How are you going to, you know, I mean, yeah, it may be the drive, but when they're not even looking at you, not even helping financially, I mean, like I said, those guys are poor. They can't, they can't provide themselves. And when they do that kind of stuff, it just... We lost a lot of guys who quit and just start working, with, you know. During that era when I grew up, we had a great team. We had, a, like, Moose. We had a bunch of world placers coming through that group. None of them stayed. 
none of us stayed. You know, I mean, Moose ended up in Uzbekistan, two guys in the Moscow are working now, you know. So uh, another guy in uh, New York working. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just uh, they keep bringing those Russians. I mean, yeah, they're tough, but we have a tough guys. We had a tough guys, right? So, yeah. The process to get citizenship. Uh, you got your citizenship a couple years ago, and you wrestled one international tournament with, with, with a USA singlet on. You finally got released, and people complain about college coaches not releasing an athlete. You weren't released for like a decade and a half. What was the process like to try to gain citizenship in the United States for you? It was quick and easy, actually. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't hard. I mean, I didn't break any rules. They, they checked everything, of course, the process. Uh, uh, it took me about six months to a year to get my citizenship uh, with the test and uh, taking the oath and all that stuff. But it was smooth. It was a smooth process. I mean, you know, if you do your thing, everything right, it goes pretty smooth. But, yeah, the rest of the stuff from there, it will take you 10 to 15 years. But when did Uzbekistan finally give you your release? Uh... About 2015, yep. Uh, UWW keeps sending the letters to Uzbekistan, and they would not sign it. They keep sending back. Uh, I think we had USA Wrestling keep sending letters to uh, UWW with the payment already, you know. Uh, and finally, Uzbekistan did release me. And, and uh, yeah, I got my opportunity to compete. It was the greatest, greatest thing ever happened to me. I went. Uh, wrestled in Minsk, Belarus. I wrestled in uh, Turkey. A couple tournaments before the U.S. Open. Just uh, before the U.S. Open, I broke my hand. Uh, thing being getting old, I guess. Uh, so that took me out from 2015 uh, U.S. Open tournament. And then uh, for the 2016, I came back and gave it one more shot at it. So... What was it like going out there, wrestling after all that you'd been through in terms of trying to get released, trying to get released, gaining your citizenship, you know, not seeing your family for a long time. I mean, to, to go out there and wrestle and, and you're representing USA on your singlet. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was great. Uh, like I said, uh, I've been waiting for this so long and uh, I had an itch. I wanted to compete. You know, and especially now I'm uh, representing USA. You know, it's a great feeling. Great. I mean, I was so grateful for the opportunity given. Let's move it over to the college ranks. Utah Valley's had a couple of All-Americans since fully moving into Division One. Ben Kerr and then uh, Jade Rouser. And, of course, his, his twin, him and his twin brother uh, Val have been, you know, age group champions throughout the course of their, their career. And, You've been on staff, you know, Cody left, and then Greg Williams has been the coach there for, for quite a while. Some other assistants have come and gone. You know, Justin Reese spent some time there. But the climate of wrestling in Utah, I mean, what's, what's it been like for you to adjust to that? And, you know, what do you really see from the college wrestling scene that thinks that, you know, you know Utah Valley University is a place where kids can come and wrestle? Hey, it's a great place. It's a great place. Uh, we, we're getting way better uh, recruits now, too, you know, since we're getting more All-Americans and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's as good as any university out there. You know, the facilities, everything, the school itself, the environment, it's a good place to be.
Yeah. One thing that's also unique about Utah Valley is being in Utah, you've got a large demographic of, of LDS students, and the joke is Utah Valley has the oldest team in the country every year. What's it like to, to coach guys that have come off two-year missions? They've, some, places, some people have gone to Alabama. Some people have gone to Uganda. They go around the world with, uh, with their uh, religious mission, and you know you got them two years old or sometimes two years off the mat. I mean, what's that adjustment like? And it, as a coach to try to get them, hey, you you need to pick it back up. It's like you have to reteach them again. Yeah, uh, I actually kind of devil off the on the team on the coaching staff. Uh, <laughs> you know, I tell I tell the kids, hey, come to school right away. And I mean, it's I mean, it's been selfish, but uh, I, in the back, I'll say, you know, you have to pray for it and you have to choose what you need to do. But yeah, I keep telling the coaches, if I'll be the devil. I'll tell them stay. You know. But it's a, it's a tough challenge. Um, we have a program. We have our uh, strength and coach, uh, strength coach Luke Lofthouse. He does a good job. He's a returning RM, wrestled for Iowa. You know, and then we run him through a special program that first year when they come back. Uh, yeah, that seems like it's been two years. It's a quite a bit of time being off the mat and stuff. But it puts him through a good Good one year of, you know, get them back, get their legs back and everything conditioning-wise. So, yeah, we got the system down now, and we do good uh, treating those RMs. I guess compare the situations. When you're wrestling there as, you know, you're no man's land, you can't really go in any postseasons, you guys are a team, you're traveling, to what the program's like now. I mean, as an alumni, to get to see – you know, Ben Kerr on that podium, Jade Rouser on that podium. How did that make you feel, not just as a coach, but as an alum? Yeah, no, it's – we came long, long, long ways, Jason. Uh, we, like you said, from when we started, we would be in the balcony rolling the mats with Cody. would be rolling the mats every day. Practice, we got to roll them up. You know, then they moved us to some warehouse that didn't have the bathrooms or showers. It was cold. It was no heated. So we worked out there for about two years. Then they moved us to another place in the school somewhere that we had to. It was a, they gave us a pretty much two big rooms that, with the wall in the middle and a door through. So the Cody would walk through the door, yell at this room, then come back. You know, I mean, yeah, we came through. Now we have our own facilities. We have our athletic support. Uh, you know, now we have pretty much everything. Yeah, our budget is grown significantly, so everything is good now. In situations like this, there's a lot of focus on, you know, the Dayton fixes of the world, you know, Oklahoma State or, you know, the Yannis at Cornell. And now it's Greco, but, you know, Taylor Lamont's been on a U.S. world team for like six straight years at the age group level. What does it mean for the school to have wrestlers on the U.S. world team? It's, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a great, great for the school. And I mean, our athletics loves that. They've been, they've been behind it. And I mean, you, you see them, you see the, the process from where I was to now, you know, how athletics is always now involved. And, you know, our, our AD is awesome guy. He loves the sport now. Yeah. It's, it's different having a Lamont and representing, you know, U.S. and the world scene, it's a great thing for us as a, you know, for, for recruiting purposes too. I mean, we get more Greco interest, but still great. Still great. We love it. We love Greco. Uh, you know, so. 
But you were mostly a freestyler. So, I mean, how do you coach Greco growing up wrestling freestyle? It's wrestling, Jason. <laughs> it's wrestling. But, uh, yeah, I love I love wrestling. I mean, if it's a woman's, I'll coach women's. It's I mean, there's a tweaks here, tweaks there. But, I mean, I adjusted to folk style from, from freestyle. I could adjust it to Greco, too. So. Uh, Taylor's probably going to be on the shelf for a while. He's going to have uh, a surgery here soon. Probably going to be out for for the year i mean what's what's the prospectus look like for him uh you know overall thoughts on his last season he had some good wins he was he went to the national tournament seated and you know what's the future look like for for taylor lamont future is bright and he's one of those kids that he's you know he already know what he wants to accomplish he's a goal-setted kid uh yeah as of right now plan is that uh you know he's gonna go to surgery get a surgery and we don't know what happens we'll just uh, work day by day thing with him with this healing process uh, yeah he I spent time with him yesterday after you know after he's lost uh, talking about the, the year so yeah he said he's just gonna get the surgery right now focus on that and we'll just go from there Hope to have him in the lineup at the end of the year. I'm understanding moving up to 133. Yeah, he would be at 133. He doesn't want to make the uh, cut anymore. But, yeah, it's if it heals up by, by the time, then he'll be on the lineup for sure. I do have a you know curiosity. I remember at the Lone Star Duels years ago, this is where the first time I saw you wrestle, it was, I think you guys had to wrestle Central Oklahoma. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you had to wrestle a guy with one leg or half a leg, Earl Jones. You know, how do you adjust to something like that? Anthony Robles' opponent's got questions like that. You know, he was born that way. Earl lost it as a kid. But, you know, going out there, I mean, how do you how do you prepare for that? I've always wanted to know the Earl Jones story. It was, yeah. Uh, so when, when I found out I have Earl Jones, um, I talked to Cody. I said, hey, Cody, any, you know, any points? What do I do? He's like, well, try to get one knee down, you know, stay low. Uh Try to attack the wrist, get a hold of the two-on-one, and start from that. I mean, Earl was a great, great. I'm, I'm sure he all-American a couple times, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, for the D2, you know. And uh, yeah, it was, it was. I never wrestled a kid with one leg, and, you know, growing up. That was my first time ever, and I, I have a big, big respect for Earl Jones. So I mean, and Anthony. Great, great competitors. Question does seem out of place. It's just that was a personal thing because I remember me and my friend Danielle Hobeker were down there trying to figure out. I was like, okay, there's there's Arkeen. He's going to wrestle the guy with one leg. And we, we, we were talking about it for years. We finally got the answer. Now, one thing that you mentioned was Iktyor Nevruzov. And for people who need a refresher on who that is, he was the wrestler, one, got the benefit of the doubt in a, in a call against Franklin Gomez at the Olympics, and then was also the same wrestler who won the bronze medal match against the Mongolian, uh, Ganzerig, which prompted the protest. And I didn't catch this initially, but you're saying he's training in the U.S. Yes. Uh, prior to World Championship in 19, uh, 2015, then prior to Rio, he came and trained with us. Uh, we got him a USA wrestling card. He was part of the club. So, yeah, he stayed and trained with us. Then... He had a training camp at Penn State, too. So, yeah, we had a couple, actually, a couple places he came out and worked out just before prior to the Olympics. So I want I to know what you're, what, you're, what you're watching 
in Rio. What what is your reaction to what what goes on? Because you know, Nevruzov against Ganzerig in the Mongolia match, he didn't. I mean, he was attacking, trying to get the point. You know, it's not like he did anything wrong. Yet the way the call went paints him as the bad guy, especially with the Gomez thing. But you know, w- what is your perspective in watching that whole series unfold? It was it was tough to believe, be honest with you. When I saw against Franklin that match, first match, and I saw they pulled, you know, Nebruza from that match, it was obvious. I mean, we could all see. Then it, when it happened, you know, for the for uh, with the Mongolian, it was that's when I'm like, something's not, you know, something's wrong for sure. I mean, I don't know if, if Theor knew that. I don't know, you know, but it was. To, to everybody who was watching that, it was pretty obvious something wrong. So, you know, there's there's talk about, you know, Chimizo training with the New York City Regional Training Center, but, you know, you know, Yonamitsu's come here and trained with Penn State. There's been, you know, talk about Nifruzov's training. Yeah, Taha Ghoul's coming over here training with Ohio State. I mean, there's there's guys in the Iowa room. Uh, you know, Safarov is going to go train with the Hawkeye Wrestling Club. And, you know, from a from a perspective of somebody who's an international import, well, not import for lack of a better term, uh, somebody who's come here, and for so many years, you were would have represented another country. Is it a big deal to be, you know, training in the U.S. and representing your home country while training here? Uh, I don't see it as a big deal. You know, I, I see I see an opportunity for our college guys to work out and get better, right? That's, I mean, the, I'm sure the Iowa's doing that same thing. I'm sure the Penn State is looking for the Ohio State. You know, they're all looking for the benefit of their the team. I don't. I don't see a. You know, I don't see it as a big deal. So, Durkeen, hearing your story is great. I know we could probably talk for hours about the more detailed things, but I appreciate you taking the time. And one, it's cool to see you rocking the uh, the USA Wrestling right there on the shirt. Oh, I'm proud. I'm proud to rock the USA Wrestling and uh, represent great the country in the in the world. So, thank you, Jason. Thanks for taking time and doing this. The Short Time Wrestling Podcast is proudly outfitted by Compound Clothing. Shirts, singlets, custom gear orders, everything you need. Call up Cliff and the crew at cmpteamwear.com. First time listening? Well, you can change that by going to matttalkonline.com slash get short time to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or listen on your favorite podcatcher at matttalkonline.com slash listen. This show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.